Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 13, titled, The Struggle of Salvation, Part 1. Hello, good morning. Ready to study the Bible? That's what we do. Luke chapter 13. Where we've been, where we are, and we will be for a while, I think. We're going to be in verses 22 and following here in uh, just a minute, working our way through the book of Luke, the history of Jesus that we refer to as the book of Luke. Probably won't know this date. I did have a couple in the early service who did. Uh, January 14, 2018. Does that ring a bell? Anybody? Anybody here from Hawaii? No? I didn't have that early service either, but I had a, had a couple that was on a cruise near Hawaii when this event took place. January 14, 2018 is, is a significant day in the history of uh, uh, Hawaii because of a computer operator who was managing the emergency broadcast system. You know what that is, right? That's Amber Alerts and all the stuff that you get. And Do you know the President of the United States has the capacity to speak through that to your phone? You can get an actual phone call from the President. That actually, is part of the system. I mean, you may not want a phone call from him. I don't know. But I'm just telling you he's capable of it. He has the capacity to do it. Our emergency broadcast system connected to all of our cell phones and, I think, also to our landlines as well. Well, the, the guy, whoever he was, I don't know his name, who was in charge of the emergency broadcast system that morning in Hawaii was going, as he normally did, as the person who was in charge at that time always did, was click on a drop-down list on uh, his computer. Of course, it drops down and it gives you a list of this and this and this and this and this. Each one of these is a response or a... Uh, a call to arms or whatever it might be is the emergency broadcast system. He was going to click on the all is well button, which of course it was. I mean, January 14, 2018, nothing big was happening. He happened to glance away briefly when he clicked the button, and instead of clicking all is well, he clicked the button that read, quote, ballistic missiles, threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. You remember that story? They said it may not be a big deal to you, but it took 38 minutes for them to realize what they did and fix it. So, could we say panic would be uh, a word? I think we could. This is an emergency broadcast system. We're not talking about, you know, they saw it on Facebook and they can't really verify it. I don't know. Somebody called them on the phone who they don't really know. We're talking about the emergency broadcast system. Hundreds of thousands of phones got the same message at the same time in bold capital letters. So, wow. Talk about some panic. Well, we're going to be reading a story, actually, we're going to be listening to a teaching of Jesus that is, in every way, intended to cause panic. It is a message of panic, but unlike the emergency broadcast system of Hawaii, it is not a message that is a mistake. So we need to hear what he's got to say, and it's going to be set up here in verses 22 and 23, and we're going to be using a little bit of background so we can understand where we are. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 and 23, he was passing Jesus from one city He's headed to Jerusalem. He's been going there since chapter 9, by the way. It's the last couple of months of his life. Uh, but he's been, all these teachings that we've been putting in here through chapter 9 from now and all the way through to chapter 19, actually, is going to be just three months, just two and a half, three months of his life. He's passing through one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, funny question, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? Now well, that's a weird question. It's weird because if you recall back in chapter 10, it says that he's surrounded by this massive crowd of people. Like literally, the word, the word in the Greek is that, that they use there to describe the number of people is the word they use to describe when you can't count them. 
in, Greek, in the Greek world, they only counted to 10,000. Beyond 10,000, they would just use this Greek word. It's called modion. Modion, there was, there's a modion type of people. We, we, use, we have a similar word in, in English, myriad. What does myriad mean? It's a bunch. It says they were stepping on each other. Jesus is a rock star, right? Everybody's there to see him. Everybody wants to hear him. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. So I would submit to you that it's kind of weird considering that, I mean, goodness, if you're drawing that kind of crowd, certainly these people are getting saved. Aren't they coming to Christ? Aren't they listening to Christ? Why do they ask a question like this? Well, here's the deal. These are the disciples that have been with him for three years, and drawing crowds is not what Jesus is about. Now, he does. He, he heals every one of them that come in contact with him. He feeds every one of them. We always hear the story, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. I remind you, that's only counting noses of men. That's not women and children, goats and chickens. Everybody got fed. Everybody got fed. So thousands upon thousands, he didn't just do it once. So he's feeding everybody, he's healing everybody, he's raising people from the dead, he's walking on water, he is a rock star, everybody's following him, but they are there. Why is this guy asking this question? Because he knows that the main message that Jesus is preaching, no one's listening. He's preaching repentance towards God and faith in him as the only way to heaven. Nobody's listening to him. In fact, he's been saying this all along. They're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. They're not listening. They're not listening. They're turning their back. They're going to reject me, et cetera, et cetera. Constantly, all the way through his ministry, he's been saying this. Finally, the disciples are saying, hey, I get it now. These yahoos are all here for the wrong reason. They're here for food. They're here for healing. That's all they're here for. They're not here for anything eternal. They're not here because this is the Savior of the world and the Son of God. They're here because it's a rock show, like I said. They're here for the wrong reasons. I would remind you, that the leaders of the country, the mantra, the main mantra of the leaders of the country is that Jesus does his miracles by satanic power, by Beelzebub. So if that's the leaders, what do you think the followers are doing? So that's why it would, it, even though it doesn't seem like it, in the circumstances, it is logical, they would ask a question. Is it really only a few that are going to be saved? It's interesting, Jesus responds with a message, like I said, of sheer, I would submit to you, sheer panic. Lord, is only there, only just a few going to be saved? Verse 24, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, underline that word, I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able. This is not a conversation of, of atheists. This is not a conversation of those who hate God and are not interested in God. This is only a conversation about those who want to go to heaven, intend to go, expect to go. Many is the word Jesus says of those will not make it. It's sheer panic. Wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Well, boy, do we really need to hear what Jesus has to say. Shocking statement. You better get with it because many will try and will not make it. They will not. Message of panic. One of the most frightening statements Jesus ever made in his entire ministry. Many people are going to want to go to heaven. They're even going to expect to go to heaven. And they're not going to go. We need to hear what Jesus has to say. We really, really do. Jesus says, strive and fight to enter the door because many will strive and fight and will lose the battle and will not make it. What does that mean? Well, come back next Sunday. We're going to talk about what it means to strive and fight. But before we get to that, we've got to get to the underlying issues. What, is, what does it actually mean to be saved? Jesus is trying to panic his hearers because there is something truly to panic about. That's a panic thing, right? 
Well, I don't know what you think about heaven and what's going to happen there, but if you're thinking, oh, there's going to be a lot more people go there than go to hell, um, excuse me, but you need to read what Jesus has to say, not what he says. You didn't get that idea from the scriptures. You certainly didn't get it from Jesus. That's not what he says. He doesn't ever say that. How, how many, here's a, here's, a, here's a question. How many of you want to go to heaven? All opposed like sign. <laughs> See, I caught you. Hey, it didn't matter what crowd you ask. No, no one, listen, sells hell. Doesn't matter where you go. Whether they're actually teaching the Bible, whether they're actually teaching the truth, whether it's some false religion, whether it's some you know, uh, cult or whatever, everybody's selling heaven, aren't they? Because that's what sells. The question is, is what they're selling getting you there? See, these are all people Jesus is talking about who are sold on heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be. Jesus says, many of these who are sold on heaven won't actually make it. Sad. It's scary. You plan to go to heaven? What's your plan? Can we agree with the plan that you have that disagrees with Jesus' plan that you're not going? It would behoove you and I to know exactly what Jesus has to say on the topic of salvation, very much so. But the ratio he gives us here is a ratio of many compared to few. And it's not, this is not an excerpt, an unusual teaching of Jesus. This is a consistent teaching of Jesus all the way his, through his three-year ministry. You say, well, I don't really think Jesus taught that. Oh, yeah, well, think again. Here's two other examples. Or much earlier in his ministry, this is the last three months of his ministry, here's very early in his ministry, Jesus teaching almost the same exact words. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. It's talking about the, small, the narrow door here. It's the narrow gate. It's the same kind of idea. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are, notice the word, many who will enter through it, for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is a consistent teaching of Jesus. So you've got to ask yourself the question, does Jesus know what he's talking about? I do believe he does. No offense, but I'm going with Jesus as opposed to your idea of how it's going to work including mine. Who cares what our days are? If Jesus says it, that's what it is. Here at Matthew 7, again, chapter, 20, chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, that's sad, isn't it? Lord, Lord. Notice they're not, they're calling him Lord. Wouldn't you expect a person that says that is going to heaven? Not necessarily. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Holy cow. In your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Many will do that. Not going to make it. They're not going to make it. People who want to go, who want to be saved, are not going to be, and there will be many of them. One of the saddest statements that we find in all the scripture. Let's, let's state it in the negative, not to say that this is that's not a positive thing, but let's stay to the negative here from the direction of hell. Hell, listen, will be populated by many who thought they were going to heaven. Look at this people right here. These people expect to go to heaven? Absolutely. They can't believe they're not. They don't understand. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? By the way, Someone who does that, would you expect them to go to heaven? You. I mean, you're making a decision about them. I hear you got Joe over here. Joe's done all that. Would I expect Joe's going to go to heaven if he did all that? I mean, I would say, yeah. I mean, 
as opposed to, I don't know, somebody who's a criminal or something. I don't know. Of course I would expect someone I would be wrong, though, if the conditions are the same here. So, so by the way, in case you think, well, this is, that would never happen, I would remind you, Judas did all those things. As a disciple of Jesus, he was sent out as, as one of his sent out ones, is what it means to be apostle, and he prophesied, he healed, and he delivered from demons. It's in the Bible. Is he going to be in heaven? No! No, he's not. So, take, take, a, take a good sip of, of uh, sobriety so that we can continue on with this, because we get, need to swallow hard on this. This is a very disturbing word. So, so, having read that, we haven't finished all that we need to read today here, and now we're back to Luke 13. So he says, strive to enter the narrow gate, the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Verse 20, 25, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door. He's talking, what are you talking about? Salvation door. When does that door shut? Do you know when that is? Well, that's one of them. When we're having your funeral, we know, you know, options are, your, your day of options are over. But notice, these people aren't dead. They're alive. There is an option. Jesus is closing the door, if you will, on the nation of Israel already. They're all still alive, ladies and gentlemen. So is there an option? Does God, can God shut the door of salvation to anyone who continues to refuse to accept his son while they still live? There's a very strong, clear teaching in the scripture to that effect. Again, how do I know? I don't know. You don't get a mark on your head saying it's too bad for him. It's not there. If you're alive, I'm going to preach to you, right? There's a chance as far as I'm concerned. But uh, as far as God's concerned, it may happen in this life before you ever pass out of it. You continue in rebellion and sin and refuse to accept what Jesus has for you. Huh? It's his choice. The head of the house, right, shuts the door. It's his prerogative. He began to stand outside. Notice these people expect to go to heaven. Stand outside, knocking on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. What are you doing? It's us. It's the good guys. Your friends, supposedly. Right? That's what they're saying up here, too. And I will answer, and he will answer, that is the, the owner of the house. I answered and said, I do not know where you're from. Then they will begin to say, we ate and drank with you in your presence, and you taught us in your streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evil Doers, same, same answer, right? Practice lawlessness. Same answer, same story. This is, not, this is not just a single teaching of Jesus. It's a consistent teaching throughout his entire ministry. Very disturbing verses. Apparently we need to be disturbed. You know, we, we, have, we, we run church anymore. It seems like we don't want to offend people. We don't want to disturb people. How do you grow a big church? Well, you certainly don't offend them. You don't disturb them. You want less money to come in the offering plates? Well, get them all upset, right? Jesus consistently made people feel bad so that they would either repent or react. That's the way he ran his show. How can we do better than him? How can we think that what we do is better than him? So few that plan to go to heaven will go because they really don't know what salvation is. That's the bottom line. They don't. They were all people who thought they were saved. They... If you ask them the question, are you saved while walking the earth, they would have said, of course I am. And you, looking at their life, would say, of course she is. But we would have been wrong. They were seeking salvation of some sort, and they were saved in their version, their version of salvation, but not in the version of salvation that comes from Christ. So your version doesn't work if that's all you're going by. 
We, we live in a culture today that, that does a lot of what they call identifying. You heard of that? Identify as a bug, as a dog, as a monkey, as a... You know, I told you back when the COVID was raging, I identified, I didn't get a COVID shot. I identified, though, as a COVID shot person. I identified with them because I, maybe it let me, they let me in a restaurant. I don't know. I didn't actually pull that. My wife would not let me do that. So. But I wanted to. We, we live in a culture, as crazy as it sounds, where men are identifying as women and women are identifying as men and are crossing into each other's bathrooms. And, and some of it is just plain stupidity. Guys wanting to go in girls' bathrooms. I mean, when, is that anything new? Of course not. <laughs> Nothing new about that. <laughs> Nothing new. But, but the scary thing, the sad thing, is those who truly think of themselves, a male as a female or a female as a male. And it seems to be becoming a popular thing. And, and uh, it's sad. It's sad on, on one level because if you're uncertain of who you are, which sex you are, I mean, you're, you're truly confused about the most basic aspects of life. I mean, it's really sad. It really is. But it, it, it's, it's sadder when you consider that even though they identify as the opposite sex and maybe even have a surgery to turn them in supposedly quote-unquote in the opposite sex the sadder thing is that if you know anything about biology you know it's not absolutely impossible you, you cannot do it it doesn't matter how successful the surgery is it doesn't matter anything else because when you are a male or a female you are that to the core of who you are like how, how, how much so to every last cell a male has an XY chromosome in every cell from his toenails to his eyelids, he is a male. Now, unless you can convert every last chromosome, you cannot successfully convert him into a female. He has to have a double X to become a female in every last chromosome, every last cell, and the vice versa is also true. But, of course, people identify. Nevertheless, males identify as females, and females identify as males. It doesn't make them that, though. It does not. So, so the same is true with salvation. You identify as a saved person. Does that make you a saved person? No. Absolutely it does not. You're convinced, your mom is convinced, your whole church is convinced you're going to heaven. So? So we all swear up and down that you are. But it, again, it comes back to the judge. It, it, there has to be a total conversion of the life. You identify as a saved person because they didn't know what salvation is. So that brings us back to our original question, actually the basis of this, and we're not going to go any further in our verses. We're going to do more of that next time about what it means for the door to shut and all that stuff. But, but I want us to answer because we need to finish up, and we need to answer a very particular, very important question. Here's the question. You, you won't know what salvation is if you don't know what you're being saved from. Saved from What? That's the problem. Most people are not, according to Jesus, many are not being saved because they don't know what they're being saved from. Saved from what? If you can't answer that question accurately, then truly what you're, whatever you're running after, even though you identify as a saved person, you're not saved. Because actually you're following something that's actually your version of it or somebody else's version, but not Jesus's. So you say you're saved, what do you mean? You can't have a version of salvation that differs from the Bible and expect to go to heaven. Does that make sense? If you listen to modern preachers, here's what you'll hear. A lot of them. Of course, I'm modern. Here I am, preaching something different, hope. 
You listen to a lot of modern preachers and television, otherwise it seems that to be saved means to be saved from being unfulfilled. Jesus came to save you from an unfulfilled life. Now, being unfulfilled, is that a bad thing? I think it is. I think it's something that needs to be changed. I don't, think, I don't necessarily think that if you come to Christ that Jesus doesn't help you have a sense of fulfillment. But I'm telling you, that's not what you need to be saved from. There's something far worse for you. Fulfillment, you can be fulfilled and die and go to hell. Dissatisfaction, that's another thing they preach. Jesus came to save us from dissatisfaction, from poverty, from inadequate feelings of ourself. And so we get preached this message, and Jesus quote-unquote saves us. We identify as saved persons, but in fact, we're saved in a version that doesn't exist in the Scriptures. Saved from what? Well, let me give you an illustration that I like to use. Here we are on the water. You know what an island is? It means the water's on all sides. It means the only way off of here, if that bridge goes down, is that you've got to swim out. Do you know how to swim? So let's say you don't. And you make it out there a little ways, and you begin to drown and you need to be saved, right? Someone needs to save you because you cannot swim and you cannot breathe water, right? You need saving. So what do you need to be saved from? Well, here's the problem. Let's say that even though you're drowning, you don't know what you need to be saved from. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? But there's people walking around today who need to be saved and have no idea what that actually means. For all eternity, they have no idea. As obvious as plain as it could possibly be, but they don't see it. So let's say you're out there drowning. You need to be saved from drowning, from drinking water. You're not a fish. But those who are saving you, don't. not only do you not know that you need to be saved, they don't need you to be saved, so they think you need to change your diet. That's what's going to save you. You need to learn to eat better. Take care of yourself, cut down on those carbs, cut back on the fat. You need to eat better, and I'm all for that, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I also believe that no matter how well you eat, you're going to die anyway. So there's a part of me that also says, I'd, you know, I'd rather just die happy, frankly. Can't eat what I want, I might as well kick the bucket, you know, kind of thing. So, so, so they teach you to eat well, and now you identify it. You've been saved from that. So now you identify as a saved person. Have you been saved? No, you're still drowning. That's the problem. So, so, so they say, oh, you need, to be, you need to feel better about yourself. You need to, to, to uh, be saved from poverty and feeling like you have no purpose. So they, they make you feel, they teach you how to feel better about yourself. They teach you a wealth principle, how to, how to grow wealth. They teach you to have purpose in life. And now you identify as a saved person because all those things are true about you. You're, you're wealthy now. You you're, you're, uh, feel better about yourself. You have purpose but you're still drowning. They haven't saved you. You identify as a saved person. They say you're saved. You think you're saved. What have you accomplished? Actually nothing. They say, well, you need to become a more religious person. There's nothing wrong with being religious. Here you are every Sunday. And that relig that's a religious thing. I come on Sunday, I come to church. It's religion. It's religion, in cer to a certain degree, isn't a bad thing. They say you need to be saved from being an immoral person. Awesome. God's all in favor of morality as opposed to immorality. But if all we do for you is make you more religious and more moral, now you're a religious, moral, drowning person. Still drowning. Because you don't know what you need to be saved from. So the critical issue is we have to know what we're being saved from. The world is drowning, and you'd think that would be obvious what needs to happen to them, right? 
You need to be pulled out of the water for crying out loud, you knucklehead, right? That's exactly what Jesus preached, and most of them didn't listen. Very plainly, he told them, you're headed to a godless eternity. You're headed to a place where you're going to be separated from God forever. You need repentance towards God and faith in the one whom he has sent. That's why they're asking this question, is it really true that only a few are going to be saved? Because it was obvious. They were just here for the food, and they were here for the miracles. Didn't believe him. They weren't listening. This is why he says, many will seek and expect to be saved. Their version of salvation. They identify as a saved person. Jesus says they are not. So step one, major, the most important step. What are we being saved from? Saved from what? Saved from sin? Yes? Listen and no. Sin by itself is not your problem. Oh, everybody's slumming through their Bible. Pastor Bill's lost his mind. Stick with me. Sin by itself. Sin, I maybe put it this way. Sin without a God who enforces that sin. Yeah, you're free to run. Saved from hell, yes. And in the same sense, no. What are we being saved from? So you can answer that question. It's impossible to be truly saved. Very simply, very biblically, we are being saved, hear me, from God. God, in sending his son, is saving you from himself. What he's going to have to do to you. That is what you're being saved from. Track with me, right? So hell isn't roaming the streets looking for us, is it? It's not... I don't know. It's not some entity roaming. It's a destination. It's kind of like Oklahoma. You can get on the road to Oklahoma, but you've got to go there, right? You can get on the road to hell. It's not looking for you. Hell, hell is, is not an entity at all. Sin isn't dangerous by itself. I mean, you sinned yesterday, right? You're still alive. Wow, it didn't work. Sin isn't ultimately the problem. It's the enforcer of sin that you need to be greatly afraid of. Greatly. Hell's not roaming the streets. The broken Ten Commandments are not crossing the bridge with, a, with a, a, a warrant for your arrest, are they? No. These are just signposts. They're just telling you, hey, you're done. You better get fixed. It's not, it's not the sin or the broken laws that's coming for you. Think about when you break the, when you break the speed limit, every one of you do, on the bridge. <laughs> because Why? There ain't no cops. Still the speed limit. It didn't come and whack you. You're not looking in the rearview mirror. Here comes the speed limit sign. It's going to knock me out. You're not afraid of the speed limit sign. You're afraid of the cops for a good reason. It's not without enforcement. There is no laws. So it, hear me. It's not the laws. It's not the penalties. It's not the place where the penalty is going to be carried out. It's the enforcer of the laws who you need to greatly fear. It's not the broken laws. It's not any of them. It's not the one. It's not the broken laws. It's the one who wrote the laws that you need to fear. Fear him. And Jesus, here's his own words. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed someone, has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's not hell. It's the king of hell. You need to fear greatly. God, what are we being saved from? From God himself. 
not the laws, not even the sentence per se. It's the judge that you need to be afraid of. Jesus is the Savior, right? He says that over and over again. Jesus is the Savior. Saving you from what? From himself. Watch. Here it is. Not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So on judgment day, he'll either be your adversary or he will be your advocate. It's going to be the same person. It's going to be the same person. Saving us from God. Not from feeling bad. And I think God's not in favor of that. I don't think he wants you to feel bad. Feel inadequate. I think God wants you to feel adequate. Uh, bad thoughts about yourself. I don't think God wants you to have bad thoughts about yourself, but that's not your real issue. Your real issue is the God who's going to enforce these laws that you've broken. Fear him, Jesus says. Greatly fear him. So let's, let's close with one more illustration from the scriptures. Two guys both want to go to heaven. One of them truly expects to go, but isn't. The other one not sure if he's going to go, but does. Watch. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. So here's a guy who identifies as a saved person. Two men went up, Jesus' story, went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began to pray this in regards to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not a swindler, not a crooked, not adulterous. Praise God for that. I mean, I, would you rather have him be that? He's a religious person. He's a moral person. That's great. But, but he's out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, so he's moral. By the way, they also had dietary codes, so he eats well. He's moral. He goes to church. He obviously feels really good about himself. He is happening. He is saved by all definitions of most of the preachers, unfortunately, that we hear today. He is definitely saved. Not a swindler, not a crooked, not an adulterer. I even like this tax collector. I fast for like a week. I give paid tithes. Awesome. That's good for him. Awesome. He identifies as a saved person. He is not. We know that because what Jesus says after the story of the second person. Here's a person who also wants to be saved but understands what he's being saved from. The tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went home, here's Jesus' own words, justified. And the other one, no. He did not. He identifies as a person. He's moral. He's religious. He's a contributor to society. Feels good about himself. Feels fulfilled, has a purpose, yada, yada, all these things. He identifies as a saved person, but he's still drowning out in the middle. He's not being saved from the actual thing that's coming to get him. He's not. This man knows exactly what's happening, doesn't he? He surely does. That is the difference. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That will be forever, by the way. These conditions are permanent. Humbled forever. That's what hell's going to be like. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's what heaven's going to be like. Forever. And ask you would if you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As we think about what God has said today, saved from what? It's not sin that's coming after you. It's not hell. It's not the broken Ten Commandments. It's the enforcer of all those things. Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you cried out? Something like this man, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So you've got to come in repentance towards God. 
dropping everything that you have that you thought was going to make it. This guy is not willing to drop his religion. He's not willing to drop his, his morals. He's not willing to say he's a sinner. Jesus says he went home unjustified. That can be you. Identify as a saved person all day long and not be saved. God, I thank you that you are rescuing those who cry out to you in repentance. Those who seek your son as salvation, Lord, I thank you that uh, though you are our judge, though you are our accuser, ultimately you prefer to be our Savior. Thank you for being my Savior. Be the Savior of all those who have turned in faith to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.